Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015. It's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Chris Johnston. Wow, that felt that felt good to say. It's been a while. Yeah, man, I survived Nashville, so uh, I, I beat the odds. I made it home. I was gonna say, well, you survived the full the full season and and Nashville. I feel like that's uh, something to be proud of for for yourself. Nashville was like an Everest at the end of that season, though, because uh, there's a lot of potholes you could fall in and. <laughs> have a little bit too much fun but i managed to to make some good decisions well it's been uh it's been too long since we've done this i mean listen i know your face is uh quite literally cemented in the hockey pdo cast mount rushmore but i don't want you to uh to abuse the fact that your position's safe in our hearts by not coming around these parts anymore i feel like we uh we haven't done a show since the trade deadline i believe so that's uh i'm glad we're we're remedying that right now Wow, we, I know we tried a couple times and failed during the playoffs. Yeah, but, uh, it's, it's it's so tough recording these shows during the playoffs. I always get asked by by the the you know the the one percent of the devoted listeners who are like, "When's the next show?" And it's it's really tough because especially when there's games going on like every day. As soon as you say something, by the time you post it, it's so dated that I I, I found it tough to do shows every. So I was like trying to do them between series or when there were these extended breaks. But uh, now we're definitely have a bit more time to to actually kind of discuss and analyze stuff. Sounds good. I'm in. Okay, so we've had a bit of time here to let the uh, the Stanley Cup final sink in and, and ruminate on it. And I think that for myself, the most interesting thing when something big like this happens in sports, we see so many different uh, angles and takeaways being taken by people depending on their perspective of how, of how they view the, the events. And it's kind of like a Rorschach test where everyone can look at the same thing unfold and have a different interpretation of how it happened and what's responsible. And the reason I bring this up is because one of the more – uh, pervasive storylines I saw online was the discussion after the fact about this Penguins roster and the way it was assembled and the way they played. And, you know, we hear so often about how the NHL is a copycat league. And, you know, if you work under the assumption that that's true, then it would stand to reason that the tw- uh, the 29 other teams would be watching and taking notes and trying to sort of impart something they see in, in the way these teams were, were playing and constructed into their own rosters. And I'm, I don't know, like, do, do you think that there's anything to take away from this or is it just like, is is it more of a one-off where, listen, the Penguins have 
two of the best, what, three or four players of their generation, and they had really good goaltending and some good fortune, and everything came together, and that's, it might not be the most uh, satisfying takeaway, but it's probably the more realistic one. Well, you know, the the one takeaway maybe is that you don't necessarily have to have the kind of blue line we all think to get through. And obviously you need a lot of other supporting factors around that if, if that is the case. Um, but I'm still kind of amazed that, that they got that, that survived that gauntlet, I guess, without Chris Letang uh, the entire time. And, you know, we saw, especially early in the cup final, that the first few games against Nashville, you know, really had a lot of struggles uh, with their defensemen. But uh, you know, they, they did have that great goaltending and obviously the great forwards that, that you know, largely have been in place for for a decade there and, and still found a way to win that cup. So, you know, maybe if you're a team that, that doesn't have that stud, you might be able to trick yourself into believing you don't need them. Uh, although, what, 10 of the last 12 cup winners have, have had either a, a Chris Letang or a Duncan Keith or Drew Doughty, uh, you know, back to Niedermeyer and Pronger, um, uh, you know, Zidane Chara when the Bruins won. Um, but, but you know, maybe you can find a way by committee every once in a while if you have some other ingredients working for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously having, a, you know, Crosby, Malkin, and not even to mention the way, you know, Kessel or, or Gensel played, for example, definitely uh, helped bridge that gap, and, and the goaltending was a big key. But I think I think it's interesting because, like, last year's version of the Penguins, for example, I thought was a much more, uh, you know, practical lesson for other teams to, to, to draw takeaways from because – they were playing a certain way under Mike Johnson, and then Mike Sullivan comes in and all of a sudden frees them up to play a, you know, a faster play, a faster paced, more open ended, five on five brand of hockey. And we saw the their results take off. And it's funny because I think we saw a little bit of that with this Predators team itself. Some of those takeaways where, especially they were, it seemed to be you love utilizing that alley oop law play that the Penguins had made famous last year. And uh, you, you you always see this stuff as something you know becomes becomes in in trend in the NHL all of a sudden teams start to incorporate in their own games but I think teams might you know go down the wrong path here if they if they buy too much into the fact that the Penguins might have you know solved shot quality or 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 proven that you don't need good defensemen because like we said yeah I guess you don't need a number one defenseman if you if you can have Crosby and Morgan taking the puck up for you instead right and you know both of those teams you know tried to use a lot of speed in their game and I Mm -hmm. think at times did I mean when when the final had its best sort of sequences, uh, you know, most exciting sequences, it was usually a lot of back and forth and, and uh, creating those chances. But, you know, I'm with you. I, I don't think that this is a trend-setting cup. I, I think it's a lot more of, of one where, you know, it's, it's a team really marking its place in history, uh, you know, a group of players that had a lot to play for kind of in a, in a much deeper sense and finding a way to get through. It, you know, it, it wasn't probably the prettiest, thing to go through i mean even looking back at that washington series where pittsburgh was underwater for a huge portion of it and let's face it without mark andre Fleury, probably don't win that series and get a chance to to put matt murray back in the net and have kind of their second push through the third and fourth rounds but um you know it's pretty it was pretty cool to watch i thought still i mean uh, there, there's not going to be a carbon copy in this sport i don't think too often just because of injuries and, and and how luck does play into what happens but uh, I think we'd all still agree, including Mike Sullivan, who actually gave a pretty nice uh, shout out uh, to the the advanced stats about the importance of wanting to chew your opponent and spend more time in their zone. It's I mean it's such an obvious concept, but still gets some pushback in some corners. But but he was saying even at that point when they weren't doing that, that that was obviously something that they tried to do and and would would seek to do. And look, they, they won their cup last year, 
uh, you know, by having three really good lines and, and being able to do that to opponents and have a lot of success that way. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. In terms of other interesting sort of storylines to come from the Stanley Cup, I thought that, you know, the, the Crosby narrative is a, is, a, is a fascinating one because he had a he had an interesting year where, you know, as it started and progressed, there was this side plot going on with him versus McDavid and this new wave of young players coming into the league and whether, you know, him and his generation were ready to kind of pass the torch and relinquish his de facto status as the league's top dog. And uh, McDavid is obviously, it goes without saying, an, an absolute force that's unparalleled. And I think we could do an entire separate podcast this summer focusing on what the hell opposing defenders are going to try to uh, try to do to, to slow him down heading into next season. But for Crosby, I mean, it does really feel like it's shifting into this stage uh and, and maybe it's unfair considering he hasn't even turned 30 yet and still has so many more chapters of his career to write, but it does feel like it's sort of shifting to the stage where the debate is more so about how Crosby's positioning himself amongst the NHL's all-time greats and the best players to ever play versus those aforementioned specific contemporaries that are coming for him right now in today's game. Well, I, I would think certainly next year you're going to hear some more talk about, you know, is, is he being passed yet or has he been passed? Um, because... This year, I guess he arguably was. You know, McDavid won the Consmite, and I, or sorry, the Consmite, Art Ross. Yes. And I expect we'll win the Hart Trophy. You know, a couple weeks time now in, in Vegas. But um, you know, I still think Crosby had a pretty impressive season, missing the start of it. You know, with the concussions and then to lead the league in goals for just the second time in his career. You know, this deep into his career, you know, is, is a pretty good accomplishment and. You know, we we still measure the the great players by winning, and and you know, look, Edmonton almost got to the third round this year. Uh, you know, they McDavid uh, did his part there too, but you know, Crosby still has the mantle, but I I don't know for how long. And when you start to add up, especially what he's added in the last twelve or thirteen months, I mean, it does it changes the conversation about I think where he ends up historically. I mean, even to get to three cups, you know, he's. He's, he's matched those Blackhawks teams. He's only one behind Gretzky as a player. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can start to unpack with that. And, and I think everyone kind of does realize that that, that sea shift is happening. I mean, at some point, it could be as soon as next year, you know, the established powers from the, the salary cap era are just not going to be seen the same way. You know, L, you know, LA's had some a couple of rough years. I'm not sure what Chicago's going to look like after they do their maneuvering here to, to get under the salary cap again. Uh, even Pittsburgh is going to suffer some losses and, and, you know, might not be what we consider one of the best teams in the league next year. Although you know, I'm, I'm not willing to turn the page on them that quickly. I still think that that's going to be a very good team. Yep. Uh, but but it's going to be the rise of the, the Edmontons and uh, perhaps the Torontos or Winnipeg, you know, Carolina. Some of these teams that, that haven't really had a ton of success, I think, are going to come up on the upswing. And we're going to see a change in who we think are the best teams and, and by extension, who are the best players. Yeah, I was giving some thought to sort of what Crosby has left to do or, or, or accomplish. And, I mean, as you mentioned, the past calendar year or so has really just been a a, a, a tour de force performance where I'm in the back-to-back on Smice and winning a World Cup MVP, and he hits 1,000 points this year. And, you know, I guess for him now, it's in terms of rising up those uh, all-time ranks, it's more of a sort of staying healthy and compiling the volume to make up for all the games he missed over the years. I mean, like if he approaches 100 points this year, I think he sneaks into the top 50 all time by the end of the season. And obviously after that, you can sort of, you know, see the blueprint for him moving up higher, higher, higher on that list, assuming he's able to keep playing at something resembling this level. So I guess it's more so just of a sort of 
a compiling thing more so like he in terms of uh, accolades and stuff like that it seems like he's pretty much nailed down everything he can at this point right i mean i think a things come to mind i mean if, if he can have seasons where he's in the race for a scoring title into his 30s or or maybe be playing as he did this year during the playoffs and, and leading a team that we never expected to win to another cup i mean those are the types of things i'm sure will motivate him because at some point it's going to become common thought that he isn't the best anymore and that the, the new generation has passed on and and you know knowing how competitive sydney is i don't think he's gonna just go oh yeah that's right <laughs> and so you know Assuming health, which in his case I think is a big question mark, um, you know I think that that's what's going to motivate him is to, you know, to make like a golf comparison. You know, Jack Nicklaus winning the '86 Masters at a time when everyone thought he was essentially playing ceremonially is, is you know, was a crowning achievement in his career. I think Sydney uh, will be trying to do that to, to try to have the success, uh, probably more as a team than, than individually. Uh, you know, the way Wayne Gretzky was trying to get a cup to the Rangers when when he played late, and you know they weren't able to do that, but. I think that, that those will be the sort of things that, that push him because, you know, any normal human would already have long since been satisfied with the, the things he did and, <clears throat> excuse me, might take more of a vacation this summer and might not spend the still the amount of time he does, you know, working on his craft to, to be the best. And, you know, the second one would be the, the thing that, that no one's really talking about now because it seems a little bit impolite, but, but we, we should wonder how long he's going to play. And, and and how the health will figure in, you know, and at, at what stage, you know, I don't think many people expect him to see his contract through. Uh, I think he takes them to about 37, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have it in front of me. Um, but, but how many more years does he want to give to this? Because, you know, he did suffer two more concussions this season. And, and you know, at some point, I, I do know that there's a bit of a concern from those that are close to him uh, about that. And, and, you know, I don't know at what level that will maybe impact his own thinking about what more he needs to do and maybe just making sure he preserves his body and his mind so that he can have a healthy, healthy second career. Yeah. I, so I'm assuming, I mean, he did get about 11 of the 15 first place votes like for the Conn Smythe. Um, I'm assuming you also voted for him as, as the Conn Smythe. I did. Yeah. I had to hit him, him, get him Alkin. Yeah. It's interesting because as the postseason was going on and, and even at, you know, through the first handful of games in the Stanley Cup final, I thought that if the Penguins uh, came out on top, that Malkin was their best, most impactful player this postseason and was deserving of the Conn Smythe. But as that series went along, you could definitely feel that that pendulum swing in, in that Game 5 against the Predators. And I, I know you wrote a really good, uh, more in-depth piece about that game and, and Crosby's performance in it, but it really just did have sort of... It was on display, like, everything that, that makes him great from from the puck control and the ability to fight defenders off and, and, and maintain it and keep his head up and, and the vision and the passing and, and just a little bit of everything. And I, I, you know, that was obviously sort of the decisive game and really shifted it in favor of the Penguins. And I guess if you're, you know, using that logic where, you know, it was when it mattered most, he was their best player. So it makes sense that he would get uh, recognized as, as, as the most impactful and most valuable player of the, of the postseason. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it wasn't a slam dunk. I find it rarely as a slam dunk. Mm. Yeah, I think I voted, I certainly voted back to LA's most recent cup. I've voted four or five times with the Consumites. It's a small group, um, so you, don't, you certainly don't get to vote every year if, if you go. But uh, I find it's rarely been so obvious that there isn't some debate about who it should be. You know, and, and in this case, you know, I, I thought Crosby was very good at the end of the Ottawa series to help them get through that. And, and, Let's face it, they were in double overtime of Game 7. That could have went 
the other way for them, and then you know had the most points in the in the in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I thought you know did very well controlling the game in a lot of games where they weren't, and then Game Four where he had the breakaway goal and was stopped in another breakaway. Penguins weren't very good that night, but he was really good. And then Game Five was something on another level. So you know it pushed him slightly above Malkin. I, I had entered the final like you, thinking that Malkin was kind of in pole position, uh, you know, for my vote. And, and you know, I, I really tried to look at the whole playoffs and look at everything. I mean, he only finished one point behind. He missed a game with his concussion. Uh, and I thought he was better in the final two rounds, which you know, are, are more important. That uh, you, you need to get through the first two to get to the third and fourth right. round. But to win the cup, when, when I thought really that Pittsburgh was kind of on – you know, I thought that they were out of gas. I really thought Nashville was going to win this series, I have to be honest. Even if you go back to when it was 2-2, um, it, to me it felt like Nashville controlled so much of the game. I think the numbers bore it out at that time. And, you know, I, they, they they had a team I thought it was going to come through and pull it out. And uh, I thought that Sidney Crosby was a big reason why they weren't able to do that. Matt Murray as well, of course. But he didn't play enough, I don't think, to, to garner serious consideration. Right, yeah. I guess if you could just put, give uh, give the Penguins goalie one as, as, as Fleury and Murray sharing it, then then maybe you could make that argument for that instead. Exactly. That, that was the tricky part. The league ruled we couldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> and I, under, I understand why they did. Right. You know, I, the, the, but um, then you ask yourself the question. So it's a playoff. MVP award, you know, this guy only played a series and three quarters or whatever it was. I mean, he was awesome, uh, just as we've all come to expect from him. Um, but it, it was tricky. It would be hard giving him the playoff MVP award, you know, when his partner stole around when, when he was out injured. It just, it was, it was tricky. And, you know, I feel for Matt Murray, but something tells me maybe he's going to get another chance down the road. Yeah, you can kind of see. I mean, in those, in those first couple games, I think he had the two points in game one and, and it, it sort of masked the fact that I didn't think Crosby played really well or really stood out in those first three games. And then in game four, even though uh, the Predators took that game, you could definitely tell that Crosby was starting to sort of impose his will on, on, on what was happening at 5-on-5. And it's, it, I don't know, I don't know where you stand on this, but it does feel like it's slightly kind of unfortunate timing for, for P.K. Subban because it did coincide with all the sort of uh, back and forth shenanigans and, and, and all the trash talk the two of them were having. And, you know, it's it's easy to sort of look at it from the perspective of well, Subban kind of woke up a sleeping giant, and 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 he's responsible for for what happened in those final two games. But at the same time, I'm much more in the in the camp of listen, you know, Crosby's a type of great player where you can only really keep him down for long enough, and he was gonna break out eventually, and it just sort of wound up working out that way. I don't know, like, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I'm not gonna buy into that one too much. That, that he wouldn't have been giving us all in those games yes. if, if everyone hadn't said. He was anything motivated, he, CJ. He was motivated. <laughs> I mean, it was certain that there's no love lost with him and PK Subban. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't think at this stage, you know, Crosby's a very professional type of guy. I don't think he likes being drawn into those types of conversations. But I think he's you know such a good athlete at this point that he would never let any sort of talk like that be a distraction of what he has to do on the ice and and look i get what pk's doing too you don't want if you have any chance to disrupt his mindset at all why wouldn't you do it um you know and pk probably understands how to play the media as well as anyone in the entire league at this at this stage and and you know that was that was what he did i i found it interesting not from a media studies standpoint but um, from what the Predators' reaction was, which was to keep him away from reporters for three days before Game 6. I found that very interesting because, 
you know, I'm under the belief that that's no way that P.K. Subban wanted that and, and that, you know, it appears to me that the team intervened and basically said we don't want any more of these kind of sideshows or distractions and, and, you know, forget about whether reporters need the quotes or anything like that. I just found that an interesting response um, to, to what was happening on the ice, that, it, that you know, there's a real appearance there that, that Nashville shut him down from speaking because that they didn't like uh, perhaps, you know, what was going on with, with some of those 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 shenanigans, as you called them. Yes. Yeah, no, that's well said. Um, all right, before we put this 2016-17 uh, season to rest now, is there anything, are there any other takeaways you sort of had from, from following this series closely, or do you think we kind of covered the main main talking points here? Well, other than to say, I thought it was a fun series. Mm. I mean, I, I saw a few of my colleagues write kind of awful series, and I guess if you just go by the scores, it looks that way. I mean, there wasn't a one-goal game in it. There was a few 4-1 kind of games there, but... I actually thought it was fun. I mean, in, being in Nashville, which I said jokingly off the top, was was really amazing. I mean, that was, and that that's what I think. You know, those of us that are lucky enough to cover a lot of these will remember that for twenty years. Mm. And sometimes over time, you forget the games a little bit or, or what happened. But uh, just the way the fans were out, and and I found the stories good. That the Predators were a fun team. It's, it's a team. You know, I'm comfortable saying I, I didn't watch as closely this season as I probably should have. Uh, given how good they ended up being at the end. I mean, Matthias Ekholm, to me, was a real revelation to see him live, you know, six games. You know, I, I hadn't seen him as much. I mean, it was it was a fun series, even though the, the games, if you're just looking back in the history book, you're probably going to go, oh, look how awful that is, all these blowout games. I actually, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I'll be curious to see uh, what Nashville does now to see if they can get back. But I would have to think with the age of those top four blue liners and the assumption they're going to protect them all in the expansion draft that, that, you know, there's going to be some tinkering needed, but I suspect we'll, we'll see the predators as a team that, that could be a force in the West moving forward. Yeah. I'd say, you know, aside from the scores, which obviously um, up until the last game, I guess game one was in doubt for a while there too, before the Penguins eventually uh, took care of it. But it was, it, it did feel like, there wasn't really too many extended stretches of play where both team where we saw the best of both teams like and a lot of that was just unfortunately due to the fact that they were both depleted and probably running on fumes considering how long they've been playing into the season and you don't necessarily see their you're you know they can they can ramp up that fastball in their and their, their top game every once in a while but they can't sustain it and i thought that you know just with the composition of these two rosters if they were healthy it would have been really just fascinating back and forth hockey to see them if they were playing at their very best and we didn't really get too many of those stretches like it felt like either one team was just significantly dominating and then the other team would all of a sudden take their turn and it it, it didn't have more of that sort of chess 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 match back and forth that I would have liked to see but obviously um you know I I, I don't think it was necessarily nearly as bad as, as some people are making out to be either well, it's too bad we can't go six months into the future and put Johansson back in and Latang back in and, and replay it. Well, we might be able to. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Well, just teams never get to the cup final That's healthy. True. There's just no way, you know what I mean? Like, even a small, I think James Neal had a broken hand. I think Patrick Hornquist had a broken finger. Obviously, Nick Benino got knocked out. Mm. I mean, and, and I'm sure it goes much, much deeper than this. It's just off the top of my head that there's just so many guys that are getting shot up with stuff to play those games. I mean, it's part of what makes it great is that it's so hard to, to play for that long in that intensive environment. But um, you don't always get the best true showcase of hockey. I think a lot of times that's in the first round. Yeah, that's true. Well, I guess that, that would be the argument for, you know, 
during the season we were sort of lamenting the fact that you know the, the Penguins and the Capitals might play super early in the postseason and they played in the second round and again and maybe that is a better alternative if you see like the you know the be- the best teams go up against each other when they're when they're firing on all cylinders versus when they're severely depleted and we're seeing like depth guys go up against each other like I, I guess there that is an interesting little count- counterpoint there. Right. It also opens the door to like the Frederick Goudreau story and, and stuff like that, guys, that most fans haven't heard of being able to make an impact. I mean, some of that is, is good for storytelling as well. So, I mean, I don't know. I still, as I say, I still enjoyed that cup and, and I can't say that all the time I do at the end. Sometimes it gets a little dull at the end, but I thought that this one had a little, this little flavor to it. I mean, part of it was being in Nashville, though, where the, you know, everything you read or heard on Twitter was, was absolutely true about the support that team was getting. Yeah, yeah, and that was a fun story to watch. Um, okay, let's look let's look forward to the future now. And, and something I wanted to pick your brain about um, were these growing rumblings we're hearing about Ilya Kovalchuk coming back to North America, which seems like it's likely to happen now. I, I mean, it, the one sort of landing spot that I've heard uh, rumored super frequently now is is the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like, are you are you buying into that as a potential landing spot? And and just are you sort of just acknowledging that he's gonna come back to north america now as opposed to it being sort of up in the air well the last i'd heard on it is that there's still some debate in Ilya kovalchuk's mind about whether he wants to do it and and you know as best as i can glean he's not coming back on a cheap contract mm. you know it's it's not it's not a point where he wants so badly to play that he'll basically do it under any terms or anywhere i mean he really wants to dictate his spot and it sounds like you're gonna have to pay for him and and you know that that presents an issue for some teams. It doesn't sound like the salary cap's going to go up much. Uh, I could definitely see a team like Columbus. I, you know, I don't know 100% for certain that they're in on it, but that doesn't that doesn't ring untrue to me. Uh, you know, I'm also watching Vegas for him, and and uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting idea that's floated around. Is you know, they've already signed Vadim Shipachov, who we played with in SKA St. Petersburg last year, and he was a line mate of Kovalchuk's. That they might try to u- unite him. And maybe even Evgeny Dadanov, the third member of that line last season, which honestly, I just want to see that for, you know, a, t- a line that dominated the KHL last year to come to the NHL would be awesome mm. just to see what kind of success they had. Does it does it translate? I mean, we've always wondered, uh, and I guess people have tried to model it out, but how how, how does, you know, what, what how does the leagues compare in a sense of uh, a dominant player in the K? What, what will they do when they get to the NHL? Um, but you know, to me, it sounds like there's still—it's not a, a clear cut. He's automatically coming, and you know, the interesting thing, I guess, with Kovalchuk is that uh, if he comes next year, the Devils don't have to be involved. You know, when he's 35, uh, he can sign as a free agent anywhere. I think it's a little bit easier. That being said, it would be a 35 and over contract, and then the likelihood of him getting a longer term deal would be would be lessened by that. And um, you know, so it's it's going to be interesting to see if they go. That you know, at this point, the Devils. But basically said you can talk to everybody uh, once you get to a contract with them you know let's let's figure out the deal um but it, it's you know i'm not sure that's going to happen i'll put it that way i'm not i'm not convinced that we're going to see him back in the nhl next season yeah as a, as a fan of the game i i, I would love that because you know it, it's been a couple of years now i think three full seasons since we've gotten to see him play up close on a nightly basis in the nhl and i think that makes it easy to forget sort of what kind of a singular talent he can be in you know, just the the ability to to eat up minutes seamlessly without really wearing down. I mean, you look at some of those minutes he was playing in his final couple of seasons in New Jersey, and he was playing like twenty four and a half. And there's like very few defensemen that are even able to log that 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 type of ice time. And 
you know, the, the, the shooting ability where he was constantly in the high teens as a finisher for his percentage while still doing it on a high volume of attempts. And we haven't really seen a talent like that. I, I think that, you know, a guy like Patrick Laine is an interesting comparable and we'll see how his career plays out. But beyond that, I mean, just that, that, that finishing ability and sort of how, how effortlessly he seems to do it is, uh, would be a fascinating thing to watch and also for a team if they can add it without necessarily having to to give up uh, you know the, everything to, to to fit him in there like i i i i've definitely come around to this idea that you know as important as as puck possession and shot attempts are and all that and, and volume eventually does win out we do sometimes overlook natural finishing ability and shooting talent and there's so many teams in this league that could desperately need a guy that can actually convert some of those shots into goals and, and he's proven that he can do that and even though uh, the age is getting up there if you can get him for on, on, on a contract that's a few years as opposed to being a long-term thing all of a sudden that becomes a pretty uh, pretty enticing proposition right and you know presumably whoever gets him won't be getting him to, to be the star player he used to be in our minds mm-hmm. I mean that, that that's the benefit I mean he, he could maybe be the Phil Kessel on you know one of these teams where you know, he's not shouldering all the responsibility to score, but he's still going to score a whole bunch for you. And, and you know, I, I think he has to – there's certainly some intrigue about him coming back, but, you know, there's still some debate as well a couple of years on what does he have left, you know, how diminished will he be from the guy we last saw playing the NHL. Um, I'm with you. I, I'd love to see it. I, I really thought that uh, he's a dynamic player, and it's a shame to not have all those guys in the league, but – you know, as I say, I, I'm getting the feeling that Ilya might be not 100% convinced he doesn't want to participate in the Olympics, you know, especially if he doesn't get the kind of contract or maybe the situation he's looking for, and then he might wait it out another year and then just come back as a free agent next summer. Hmm. Yeah, that's be something to, uh, something to watch for. Okay, so so one final thing I want to talk about with, uh, with you while I still have you here is, uh, you know, the, the lead-up to this expansion draft is going to be fascinating, and... I remember at the trade deadline when I had you on, we were talking about how, uh, you know, we expected the trade deadline to be pretty dull, but this little stretch here would really kind of open up and there'd be a lot of fireworks. Do you still, uh, do you still believe that to be the case? Or do you think that the, uh, the NHL's more conservative leaning might, uh, might prevent anything too crazy from popping off here in the next couple of weeks? I still think there's going to be fireworks, you know, maybe not to the degree I was predicting back then. Um, you know, so much of it, lies in George McPhee's hands. Uh, you know, he's been talking to <clears throat> every team, literally, uh, about their needs, about who they're going to expose, about deals, um, maybe who they don't want to expose. But the teams themselves, I mean, there's a couple deals that sounds like are done. Aren't sure, though, exactly which deals will come through. And, and you know, George McPhee being in the situation where he doesn't have to make those kind of trades uh, with teams has asked a lot, I think, of those teams in those trades because it's his really one chance to uh, game the system. I mean, it's it's pretty awesome that he has this ability. I mean, I think that the goal that the the Golden Knights are going to end up with a ton of draft picks, mm. uh, perhaps some prospects. I mean, they're going to get off to a good start for their future more than when we look at you know whatever twenty guys that that we pencil into you know who's going to play for them on opening night, but. Um, you know, I still think we'll see a trade or two before the expansion list go in, uh, which was, as we're talking right now, is four days from now. Mm. Um, and, you know, potentially afterwards, you know, especially with Vegas, you know, this idea that I think they're going to take on a few players who they potentially flip. I mean, we know Marc-Andre Fleury has waived his no move uh, for the expansion draft to go 
uh, to Vegas and, and, you know, barring something unforeseen, I think the Vegas will claim him. Uh, but, you know, the question then becomes, you know, does someone else trade for him? Does Buffalo, uh, you know, where Jason Botterill has a connection to him, uh, maybe get in there and, and deal for him? I mean, Calgary's been looking for a goaltender, it feels like, forever. Um, you know, because Marc-Andre Fleury has some degree to, to control where he can be dealt to. Uh, I think it's an 18-team list you can submit. Um, but, you know, I do wonder if he gets flipped, for example. And, and there'll be other players of a similar ilk. But this... This went this uh, summer. We would have had almost no movement right. uh, with the cap potentially staying flat, and and the expansion draft is forcing teams to make different kind of decisions uh, than they would. And and I still believe we're going to get at least one trade where everybody goes whoa and screams about it on Twitter for an hour. Yeah, I mean the reason why I'm uh, remaining optimistic here is because you can very easily sort of map out uh, the potential moves and why teams would be invested in, in in doing them because you know especially for the teams that have four or more appealing defensemen it's a pretty steep price for most of them to try and protect all of them because all of a sudden they're going to be exposing some intriguing forward talent and they might be more inclined to try and recoup some sort of value even if it's 50 cents on a dollar or whatever for them rather than just seeing them walk for nothing and you know for example today I think uh, Pierre Lebrun reported that the Predators might be willing to or might need to face the reality that they're going to have to expose a guy like James Neal, for example, if they keep all four of those top blue liners that we all ranted and raved about throughout this uh, cup run. And and that's obviously not a great outcome for them because James Neal, uh, even though he's has his flaws as a player, is still one of those guys that has that finishing talent we were talking about with, with Kovalchuk earlier and would appeal to a lot of teams. And then you've got on the other side of things, a handful of teams, whether it's the Hurricanes or the Flames or, or, or you know, the, definitely the Coyotes and Avalanche, for example, who have uh, open roster spots that they could easily protect because they just don't have enough good players. So all of a sudden you can sort of start kind of, you know, drawing lines between those teams and, and trying to figure out what can happen. And they might not be blockbusters by any means, but, you know, for hockey junkies like us, they're they're definitely going to be things to uh, to spend a couple of weeks kind of analyzing and dissecting and trying to figure out how it changes the landscape of the league. Well, and it sounds like now a few contracts are going to move around. And I know some people hate that idea of like the players that don't play, but you know I always find it interesting the maneuvers that that happen with that. And you know it certainly sounds like David Clarkson's contract is going to end up in Vegas one way or another. There's some discussion out there maybe about Marion Hosa who. I guess at this stage is a little bit more than a contract because he's still playing, but you know might not play it through uh, being moved. I mean, those kind of moves I always just because maybe I am a hockey nerd, uh, I love seeing the the thinking that goes behind those. And you know, I should add too that that we should watch Vegas closely because I'm I'm wondering how many moves will kind of be handshake kind of moves. You know what I mean? I wonder how much I know the league really is sensitive about it and they want everything documented, but. When you get an expansion draft, I think that there's a lot of wink, wink, nudge, mm-hmm. nudge that goes on. And, you know, I think that so we're going to get next week where the lists go in and they make their choices. And then I still think there's going to be a whole ton of movement around Vegas, you know, into July. Um, and I think some of them we, we might be able to connect the dots, even if we don't know exactly what was written down on paper at some point. Well, you already see sort of uh, the inklings of that with this speculation that the Ducks didn't necessarily ask Kevin Bieksa to waive his no move, but they have some sort of a deal in place with Vegas where, you know, it, it won't be an issue. Like it, it, it'll be that you're, I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of that stuff, but I'm obviously banking on a, 
on individuals like yourself and Bob McKenzie and the fine reporters out there to uh, to really get down to the bottom of all the stuff that's happening behind the scenes. Yeah, I still think next week it's going to be really cool because you have the expansion draft and then we everyone goes right to the draft, which is close to a hockey conference, I guess, as we get for at least at the NHL level. And there's a lot of rumors and everybody's there. And, and you know, we typically do see some trades at, at the draft. And I just think that that... Uh, it, it, it does set up as a pretty good time if you're into the whole transactions of, of hockey and and you know I, I'm not I'm not sour yet that, that this is all going to fizzle I, I still think that um, there's there's a lot out there and, and you know I do believe the league didn't want uh, any of it distracting from the, the cup final so you know that's that's why we're you know, just on the other side of that, and, and nothing too big has happened at the moment. Well, you, you sort of alluded to the fact that you know there, you suspect there might be one move that might really uh, get people to go like, to have a some sort of a reaction online about it. Like beyond, you know, there's going to be sort of the maybe a fringe second, third line forwards, or maybe kind of second, third pairing defensemen. But do you think there's going to be any guys uh, with big contracts, but that are still actually sort of living up to them that that might be traded as sort of teams trying to get ahead of the curve and using this as a chance to basically get a mulligan on it like I'm you know I, I keep circling back to a team like the Panthers for example and it's it's tough to say what's going on there and, and what their thought process is but they also do have like four what five defensemen that I assume they'd like to protect and and obviously too many forwards so all of a sudden you start potentially looking into whether they might pull the plug on on, on the Keith Yandel experiment right now or if it's too early for that like uh, do you think we could potentially see one big move like that or do you think it's going to be kind of smaller stuff that, that we're just going to have to to overblow a little bit to make it make sense <laughs> well I, I think Matt Duchesne's going to move somewhere yeah. I mean that probably wouldn't cause a big seismic whoa because you know his name was out there before the trade deadline but you know I'd be surprised mildly surprised if he was back in Colorado for next year, it seems like a relationship where the team and the player are both open to something new. And then, you know, obviously it's about making it, finding a trade and making a trade that, that, that the abs can live with. You know, I wonder about Jonathan Duran's future in Tampa. Uh, he's a restricted free agent this summer and, and that's a team with noted cap issues and also a noted need for a right uh, shot defenseman. Another one to, to bolster their chances. And, and, you know, that appears to present a recipe where, uh, the Lightning might move on from Duran, not because of some of the things that happened in the past, but more because he's a chip that they could play to perhaps solve some of those issues. You know, I, I, there's going to be some name guys go. I, I, I don't see between those two. You know, I wonder what the Kings are going to do uh, with Rob Blake now running the show. There's some sort of rumblings that that there he might be willing to shake up their uh, core a little bit. I mean, I. I I, I still it, it just feels and sometimes you're reading the tea leaves, but there's there's a lot of smoke, um, and so I got to think we're going to find a fire somewhere. CJ, I was uh, I was trying to wink, wink, and nudge, nudge you in the direction of uh, of John Tavares there, but you didn't you didn't seem to bite. <laughs> well, this is I can, this is the one thing I can't get past with John Tavares, and you know I I got to know him pretty well early in his career, covered him at the World Hockey Championships where the access to players is a lot better, and, and got to know his family a little bit, and just uh chatting kind of way he's just such a loyal guy that, right. that i can't imagine him leaving um you know maybe i'm maybe i'm putting too much faith in sort of just the bit i know because look you can only go based on what you know but um i would be stunned if he left uh, the islanders i just uh, it doesn't feel like something he would do we'll see I, I mean i'm happy to be wrong on that one but 
um, that's it's always come back to that for me. Is just uh, he's a very loyal guy. He feels like it's even though I think we would all look at his situation for the time he's been in the league and say they're asking him to do too much. They haven't you know given him enough around him to have the sort of success for how good a player he is. Um, but you know, I think he's stubborn and, and wants to do everything in his power to try to win a cup with the Islanders because you know they show faith in him early in his career. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm just trying to stir the pot there. But it is it, it, <laughs> it, it, it the uh, that that it, it is an interesting dynamic there where it's like the, a game of chicken where if you're the team and you have the superstar whose contract is eventually about to expire, you know, you obviously have a better sense of it than than anyone does. But there is like obviously if they traded him this summer for example they'd recoup much more value than if they had to do it frantically at the trade deadline next year or or whatever or, or ultimately the disaster of losing him for nothing next summer so it is uh I, it's something to keep an eye on but I, I i agree with you i don't think that uh i don't think we're ultimately going to see anything there on that front well what's the price that you would have to pay i mean just in a fun world john Tavares doesn't like their offer on july 1st or whatever they talked about before july 1st he doesn't sign that extension right away i mean what do you what do you have to get to even make that make sense if you're the Islanders? I mean, it, it would have to be huge. Well, it would it, have to be a young, a package centered around a, a young uh, guy to play down the middle that, you know, he's not necessarily going to step in and just replace all of John Tavares and everything he provides by himself, but sort of provides hope for the future. Or you're sort of resetting things, although I'm sure fans of that franchise don't aren't in love with the idea of, of resetting the clock for a team that, has been sort of stuck in this weird little uh, rebuild zone for, for, for way too long at this point. Right. I, I just, it doesn't feel right. I mean, I guess maybe if the Leafs, it's sort of a, the obvious connection, if they were going to trade William Nylander or something, you know, maybe you can build a package around that as the, the two cores. But, you know, even from the Toronto perspective, I'm not sure that makes sense at this stage. Um, what about for the Habs? Yeah. What about for the Habs with a guy like Galchenyuk? Well, that, you know that that might have more weight mm. to it. You know, I just it feels like Galchenyuk, where where he's at, he's to call him damaged goods wouldn't be fair. But you know, I think that he's seen a little differently now um, than he was earlier in his career. He hasn't quite met the expectations. Obviously, the center winger thing has been a constant debate and, and discussion in Montreal. You know, he's another player, though. You know, whether it's the Islanders or someone else, that I would not be surprised if if there's a trade made there. You know, I believe that. Montreal was was trying to move him during the season and and didn't find a deal, but you know maybe one will present itself uh, now that more stuff shaking out. Um, but you know that 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 maybe has the, the makings of something you could you could start speculating about. I, I can't wait for someone to uh, to listen to this and like and transcribe it as and report it as uh, as you and I oh, reporting fact. <laughs> this I know it drives my colleague Elliot Friedman yes, nuts that, yeah. that you can. Get into sort of a discussion, especially on a podcast. You can actually have a discussion. Radio's yeah. a half discussion, and then it it gets all twisted around. And the only thing the GM or the assistant GM reads is is the twisted around version. But let's be clear: we're not in. We're this is not fact. We're just trying to work through what what may or may not uh, transpire. Yeah, this is too. This is purely uh, two friends just talking about hockey as fans, as opposed to uh, trying to trying to break break news here. Let's let's leave it at that. Two buddies with coffee and a microphone. Exactly. Yes, it's too. It's a bit too early for beer, so we're going with the uh, with the coffee approach for now. Although I'm sure after after Nashville, you're uh, you're you're good with the coffee coffee side of things. Drying out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, CJ. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, I know it's going to be a busy busy few weeks here for you, but uh, I'm 
you know, I'm I'm definitely going to put up the bat signal again. Maybe after everything shakes out a little bit after free agency, and we'll get you on to uh, to dissect what happened. It's going to have to be early July because I'm heading to Japan uh, oh, beyond man. that. So you're going to have to have to get it done pretty soon after free agency. Pal. Okay. Well, I look forward to it. Take care, CJ. Thank you. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com/hockeypdocast. Thank you.